The following program, Chicago's Weekend Wake-Up Call, is sponsored by the Digital Wellness Center and to the extent applicable, their guests. The views and opinions expressed therein do not necessarily reflect those of NewsWeb Radio Company or its management. Welcome back, everyone, after our groovy Saturday morning music. We are so pleased to have you join us for another episode of Digital Wellness with Dr. Mary. And I'm your host, Dr. Mary Donahue, and I'm thrilled to be with you here today, exploring the power of humor, theater, and other innovative ways to heal. But before we dive into our amazing discussion, I'd like to introduce someone very special who was missing last week, who's joining us in our studio today. Please give a warm welcome to our associate producer, Richardson. (laughs) Thank you, Dr. Mary. It's so nice to be back. Um, I'm always excited to be a part of the conversations, and I sure did miss, um, I missed being here and listening to our, our great guests. And today we have a wonderful guest and I'm so excited to, to hear from them. I am very excited. I found this brilliant guest on LinkedIn and I actually found her when I was talking to my students about innovation. And I was on LinkedIn and I was trying to demonstrate here is how you innovate in a category that isn't traditionally innovated in. And Sean is with us. I think she's on the line already. Dylan told me she is. So, Sean, jump in whenever you can. I hear a little crinkling in movement, so I'm wondering what's going on with that. But I believe your last name is spelled Amador. Is that correct? Yes. Am I saying it properly? Yes. Oh. That Sean, is my last name, Amador. Amador. What the th- I am so bold over about what you're doing with theater. I teach uh, in the arts in an undergraduate program. And one of the things my job is to teach them is business and how to run a business. And part of their year-end project is to create a new innovation in the arts. And we started this when COVID came and we had to rethink how to use your degree. And it didn't matter what you were taking. We have business students. We have architects. We have students doing their BFA But everybody has to rethink how to do things. And not only Mm -hmm. are you talented in theater and writing, but you're a passionate advocate for healing and the innovations that are available to us in healing. Mm -hmm. And so with your wealth of experience and storytelling, this is really where we want to go today. I wrote a newsletter yesterday all about joy and how to start spreading joy and positivity through your work and how that Mm -hmm. not just lifts your clients, but it lifts you. So I'd really like to have you to the show. And of course, I thought you were a he because my friend spells his name, Sean. So I apologize. No, I totally understand. Yeah. Um, I I love, um, I'm a licensed clinical social worker, so I'm in mental health. And I, because I'm um, neurodiverse and I visually like process things, I am easily able to come up with uh, plays like that have a tint of humor about uh, our, you know, 
social emotional learning as well as emotions um, and it's more easily digestible when we can use a little humor I mean not you know, just just enough and then um, I I also use improv to help people connect with each other and we connect it back to you social emotional learning concepts so we do this uh, in the schools um, through like workshops, social emotional learning workshops, as well as like uh, mental health settings. Now, this is fascinating, and, and I think we should just jump right into it. As a social mm-hmm. worker, and you're talking about being neurodiverse, so already you have challenges going forward. We all know the exhaustion mm-hmm. social workers have been experiencing lately. But one of the things that both Rich and I would love to talk to you is how did you begin to look at theater as therapy? Because that's what I was showing my students, was how you were able Mm -hmm. to take a traditional model of social work and healing and compassion and really innovate. So, and, and as we do this, I, I'm, I'm sorry, Rich, I jumped right all over you. We forgot to give everybody the number to call in and talk about how humor helps you heal. Um, Rich, go, mm-hmm. go ahead before Sean and I jump into it. Yeah, no worries. Thank you, Dr. Mary. Um, we'd love for our listeners to pitch in their ideas and if they have any stories about humor that has healed them, um, please, we'd love to hear you call or text us at 773-763-9278. That's amazing. And Sean, let's, let's just skip our break because I'm so excited to just have you here and have you in studio. <laughs> so for you, how did you come to do these workshops? How did you come to found this organization. I think it's great. And, and you do work with the university. It's none of its willy-nilly consulting. It's all hardcore proven science. Tell us a little bit about the inception of your idea. Um, well, I, I work for the university as a medical social consultant. So I'm an LCSW master's level therapy. Um, we... How I came to um, this is I was a school social worker, and because I started as a child and, you know, doing these clown workshops during the summer, like at the music and arts drama camp that I would attend every summer, um, I knew the power of humor and the power of connection and the power of having a mask and being able to try on all these different identities, how powerful it was to me. And I decided that I wanted to take that to my students in um, the public schools. I worked at a school um, near Midway Airport in Chicago, and we started an after-school clown trip, which then, you know, clowns got creepy, so we ended up um, making it sketch comedy, right? Um, yeah, there, was, there were students who were like, I'm scared of clowns. I don't want to join clown troops, you know? So we would make it, we took out the costumes. It was hilarious. Um, yeah, it was the time of it with the balloons and everything. Um, so we just changed it and people, people were not hesitant to join. And we, it, you know, the kids who really needed it were the ones who joined. Um, and we just, we had so much fun connecting with each other, you know, playing improv games, coming up with, um, coming up with skits, uh, to make fun of like 
our, you know, our humanity <laughs> and the fact that we're not perfect. Um, and it was, it was just a great, great um, group. And then um, after that, I took it into the clinic setting where we used it as, like, group therapy. Um, and I, I also used it as social-emotional learning in the schools. And now um, at the university, I'm just working as a therapist, but I, I hope to start um, doing some more interventions there eventually. Um, but it continues, like in the clinic, um, Core Connection and Lyle is continuing groups, and um, we also do social-emotional learning uh, workshops with schools. That is amazing. So you really started this way, Sean, as a child. Yes. And really began to look at um, laughter's profound effect on our mental well-being. Mm-hmm. It also has a profound effect on our physical well-being, doesn't it? Absolutely. Um, it, it does. Uh, and with with theater, just in general, and with my roots of clowning, um, we use our bodies a lot. So when I'm, when we're working with, with kids or with people, um, we encourage them to use nonverbal communication. And there's a lot of improv um, that you use, you know, nonverbal communication, because, you know, in, in our language, only 7% is, is words, right? The nonverbal is 50 percent and the tone is 35 so um, through our movement it is is really regulating and it can be healing and um, if we're doing that with each other and having fun it's a huge bonus like those happy chemicals are, are exploding in our brains and <laughs> we're feeling so much better <laughs> I find this fascinating and don't ever say just a therapist at the university I think therapists and Rich, you can talk to this. You, you know, you're in your last year of undergraduate. Mm-hmm. Is mm-hmm. I think therapists have a profound effect for students right. at mm-hmm. university. Yeah. I think they're so yeah. needed, and I don't think mm-hmm. we spend enough money on that for at, at for students mm-hmm. at school. Yeah, yeah. I hundred mm-hmm. percent agree with that. Mm-hmm. It's so important. It's so important for um, as I as Dr. Mary has said, I'm a student too, and uh, I love speaking to. Uh, the therapist, my therapist, and also my counselors, and because that's a way to de- de-stress from whatever stresses is happening, not only in school but out of um, outside of our school life. Um, but also, I just love the approach that you're coming from because um, bringing the, the laughter like that has a huge impact on us relieving ourselves. And it, you know, it's like, have you ever? Like, when was the t- last time you had like a really good laugh and you just after you finish laughing you're like uh, you know that that just feels great so I love that mm-hmm. and Sean I, I love what Richardson just said is that feeling of <laughs> like it's when you're angry and you're gonna lose your mind and then something makes you laugh and you just say, oh, my God, OK, I have to reset. Um, from my standpoint, um, as you know, I practice digital psychology. I don't do therapy at all. I design systems that help people's brains chill out and don't get mm-hmm. so intense on digital. 
and I have, um, and I'd love to talk to you about this and get your opinion on it. I believe that when people are gaming, so playing any kind of video game for too long or gambling for too long or on social media for too long, all those things that our phones have allowed us to do over the course of the last, what is it now, um, 13 years, 14 years um, since the advent of the smartphone. Gosh, mm-hmm. I guess it's, almost, it's much longer. Um, we it, it affects our emotional and our physical health. And right. when I wrote this very short storybook called Digital Addiction, what is it mm-hmm. and how one sister and brother dealt with it. And in the book, I give a process of how you have to start identifying if you are at risk of digital addiction. And it's simple. It's just like being open to it, getting data for it, starting to discuss it, and if necessary, getting therapy for it. In your work at the university, do you see the negative effects of students spending too much time on digital? And given that this is a digital wellness show, do you Mm -hmm. believe that what I just laid out would work? Right. Um, I, it is definitely a balance of, of my, I work with teenage, um, clients and children, um, and it is definitely a balance for them. And sometimes it's, it's, you know, they, they have learned how to regulate themselves from watching like YouTube videos or, you know, um, so it is definitely important for them to understand that they need to learn how to regulate themselves without technology because life happens and there's times that we, you know, you really cannot use technology technology to regulate yourself. So it's very important um, to be able to do, to relax without the help of technology and especially like you you know before you go to bed you need to be blue screen screen free for what do they say 90 minutes um and the attention you know that we need in order to think and process in school uh we we need to be able to have longer than an eight second attention span you know which is you're used to on tiktok right Mm -hmm. so definitely um (laughs) It, it is important, and um, we we do we do discuss that and how um, to have conversations and relate with each other. Because if we know how to have conversations, that can also regulate us and connecting with and co-regulating with others. It's interesting you just said that because um, I started out in this area. I've written a lot about language and that the 7% are words. And in digital, we lose the movement, the 55%, and we lose Mm -hmm. the tone, the 35%. So we're only understanding 7% of what is sent to Mm -hmm. us. And that's a really important thing to understand. Your brain on digital is understanding 7%. So no wonder we're seeing an increase in stress, an increase in depression, an increase in manic Uh behavior. And we're also seeing Uh an increase in bad behavior. And so Uh if we step back, one of the theories I have is that it is due to the length of time we spend on the phone. So I have a test for our listeners, and I have a test for both of you. 
And I want this. This is a test I started giving over seven years ago. Now, I want to ask you something and just tell me the truth. Can you spend 20 minutes in a bathtub without your phone? That's, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think 100%. that sounds amazing. <laughs> Do you know that approximately 86% of people under 40 say no? Really? Yep. Wow. Because they keep their phone with them so much. (laughs) Now, let's get back to Sean and looking at humor. A lot of people aren't getting um, the opportunity to, and this is a great promotion we're going to go into, laugh their way into wellness. Sean's book is called Laugh Your Way to Wellness. It's, it's actually, no, <laughs> my book is called uh, Teaching Social Skills Through Sketch oh. Comedy and Improv Games. And the other one is called Group Activities for Social Emotional Learning with the Use of Improv and Sketch Comedy. So let's talk about those right now. I, I, I think people should get both books, but I think it would be mm-hmm. amazing to hear a little bit more about them. Um, yeah. How did you write the, the first, first one? one? The first one started when I was a school social worker um, in Chicago. Uh, that's when I started the clown troupe. And I actually, in, in the seventh chapter, I have um, clowning for anxious and shy um, clients and students um, because if you oftentimes if you put them in like a costume and you teach them a funny skit and even saying one word and practicing yelling you know boo louder and somebody reacts like you can get tons of laughter um, and they just open up you know Um, so I had a lot of success using that intervention with my with my um, children that I worked with, and even even a couple of cases where kids had selective mutism, um, we were able to get them to open up. Um, so, so with, give us the title again, Sean. Yeah, because I screwed teaching, it up. Yeah, it's okay. Teaching social skills. Uh, Teaching social skills with sketch comedy and improv games. Now, where can we get that book? You can get it on Amazon or Jessica Kingsley um, Publishers. That's my publisher, but um, it's on Amazon as well. And then I I think, but that, um, that book was actually written with my students like they I had gotten permission like, in the permission slips for years and we even had like a you know a school-wide uh playwriting contest and mm. some of my students had um written a play and it's in there um um so uh, many of these plays were written alongside students which is um gives it a fun twist Okay, that is the most delightful thing I have heard on this radio program ever. I love mm-hmm. this inclusive approach. That, that is just amazing. I, I'm going to try and recommend this book to my students. I never, ever tell mm-hmm. students they have to buy a book, by the way, because most of my students 
you know, struggle with paying their fees. So the last thing mm-hmm. I want them to do is force them to buy a book, in, in particular, yeah. in my book. But yeah, I, I definitely you. think this is teaching social, social skills with sketch comedy and that you were inclusive of your students feels so mm-hmm. brilliant. Um, now, yeah. let's talk about your second book. And then we're going to come back to the first book. Yeah. Um, the other book was written, um, and I wrote it with a co-author who who has improv training from Second City. Um, the It's like a improv theater in Chicago. Um, so it's called Group Activities for Social-Emotional Learning Using Sketch Comedy and Improv Games. And we... A lot of uh, the the plays or the improv games in there were utilized in the clinic um, in the mental health setting, and there's plays that we created to talk about different areas of um, mental health, like flexibility, um, how to connect with each other, like, um, and how to recognize like little cues, nonverbal cues of others, like reading the room kind of things, as well as positive and negative thinking. Um, so there's like a lot of CBT in there as well, cognitive behavioral therapy. So um, a lot of fun ways to approach um, helping kids um, with their mental health. Wow, I love that so much. But it sounds like it goes in so many different aspects. And what really stood out to me was learning like the social cues and reading the room. Like, that's awesome. How were you able to, um, like, what is one way? I'm just curious um, of you doing that. How did you come to that? Um, well, it's, you know, like, um, growing up with my own neurodiversity, I realized, like, how important that is. Like, I've been through it, um, and I, I see the same thing reflected in my my clients and students where, you know, you grow up not really, like, that skill is just given to some people. For other people, it's more challenging so being able to help them, you know, for the people who want to, and just in general, like um, a lot of the times, especially being in the digital world, we don't pay attention to these skills anymore. You know, yeah. it, it was handed to people before the digital time. It was a lot easier. Now we have everything handed to us on the phone. So people aren't paying attention. Um so I, I think it's really important for people to practice this and improv um, and, you know, role-playing these things and these skills with each other with a tense of humor. And it doesn't, it doesn't feel like they're learning. It feels like you're playing a game. We're just having a really good time together. We're connecting. And then we talk about how it's a social skill afterwards, you know. Wow. I love that so much. I literally just had like a mental picture of uh, of people just looking down and like kind of ignoring like their surroundings and their now something that used to be so normal is something that we have to be taught again. And I love that. Mm-hmm. I love that through the approach that you're taking. Mm, I, um, yeah. it, I couldn't agree more. Um, now let's all take a quick break. We'll gl- we're, like let's reset because I actually have about ten questions that have just been texted to me from parents. If you're open to that, Sean, can you answer some of those questions? Absolutely. 
Okay, so let's take a break. Grab a glass. Grab a glass of water. <laughs> and Rich, what? Let's give the number again. And parents. Yes. If you're interested, if you have neurodiverse children or if you have children at home that maybe need to increase their social skills or practice their social skills more, this next segment is for you. I wish I could talk today. Not only did I screw up the name of your book, but clearly I can't move my mouth. (laughs) Over to you. (laughs) You're good. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you so much. Um, Please reach out uh, through text and call. Or call um, 773-763-9278. I'll just repeat that one more time. 773-763-9278. Would love to hear your, your voices and your thoughts. So we're to you, Mary. Welcome back, everyone. We are with our new favorite guest, Sean Amandor, who is a beautiful, wonderful, talented therapist, author, and clowning expert, which I think is just amazing. I don't know if you ever listened to the podcast Smart List with Jason Bateman, Will Arnett, and Sean Hayes. But they've had a couple guests on recently. I just happen to love that podcast when I'm driving long distances. And they always talk about uh, how improv really helps them. And Bateman always says, oh, you know, I'm not really good at that. And if you look at Sean Hayes' body of work and Will Arnett's body of work, they seem to really be able to get that. And our first question that was texted to me deals with this. It's how can we incorporate elements of theater therapy and improv theater into our family routines? No, that's awesome. I was just thinking about this. Um, we, I, in my second book, I have, you know, those giant remotes like that you can get, like, um, for people who lose their remotes, um, <laughs> you can buy these giant ones. They're they're like the size of a laptop. They're hilarious. Oh God, so really? I use, <laughs> yeah. I love props. Like that's that's totally my my background in clowning. But um, I use uh, a giant remote um, in in therapy um, and we it's in my second book it's like the remote control game and I actually I've taught it to my own family so I use it yeah throughout I, I love it um, and it's basically you pretend to power on so you teach your kids this game and you can really use any old remote it doesn't have to be the giant one the giant one just adds humor um, and 
You can pretend like somebody's a TV and you're controlling the remote. You can ask them, you know, guide what's on TV and you can ask them what's on channel nine. And, you know, if they don't know it, you make it up. Okay. Channel nine is the weather channel. So um, I'm turning it to the weather channel and then your child can tell you what the weather is. Um, you can, so you can do different, different things, you know, whatever channel you want. And then you can pause, you can make them sleep, you know, because there's a sleep function on, on the remote. Um, and all, all the other, you can make them go left, right, up, you know, increase the volume, decrease the volume, mute. <laughs> um, and then, and then, then, like, you can, like, in the moment, if they're escalating, you can pull out and go pause, you know, um, just make it part of the routine. But if here's the thing, like, if somebody, if our kids are having too big of emotions, or if they're having emotions in general, they also need um, to be validated. That's, like, the first thing. Um, but a little... If they can handle it, if they're not too escalated, a joke can also um, co regulate them. So just paying attention to what the child's needs are is, is really, really important. But um, the remote control game can be really fun to use in your family. I really like the remote control game. Now, for those parents who might not know the word escalated, can you define what if your child is too escalated means? Yeah, yeah. Um, if if your child begins, like, with, if it's tone, that might, you know, there, there's different um Escalated basically means increasing emotions. So if they're having just tone, then that could be de-escalated maybe through a joke. But if they're yelling or if um, they're showing body signs that are, you know, that they might get more um, physical or they might shut down more, then their feelings most likely need to be um, validated. Um, problem solving can't happen at that point. It's just like the validation of what their experience is and what they're going through is really important. Um, and then the humor can come later. I love that. Now, here's, you know, our next question flows right into that. What are some practical exercises or games we can of oh sorry i read that wrong what are some practical exercises or games we can play at home to encourage creativity and problem solving mm -hmm. uh there's there's a lot of them like in my first and second book but i can definitely tell you um one of the really popular ones that we use in our social emotional learning um, workshops as well as um, like in the schools and I, I created this alongside my students is the slow motion snowball fight uh, we would put on <laughs> chariots with fire and use our whole bodies and imagine what it would be like using every muscle to pick up a snowball um, mm -hmm. and you depending on who you're looking at is the person you're throwing a snowball at and their job is to recognize that and to react with a huge like reaction like meaning the snowball hits you in the head and you're slow motion falling down 
<laughs> like, like, like a slow motion death scene, basically. <laughs> and then you get back up and you throw a slow motion snowball. So, um, yeah, we have a really good time with that. I, I use that in mental health and yeah. So that is a really good way to read, um, to read up, you know, learn how to make eye contact and learn how to read other people. Um, yeah, there's, there's a lot of them. I'm, I'm loving the book here. Okay. So now here, the next question flows right into that question. You are killing it today, Sean. Like, wow, (laughs) this parent says, can you, and don't forget to give the titles of your book. Someone just texted me, tell her to tell us her books again. (laughs) Can you provide examples of how theater techniques, oh, can help improve communication within parent and child? No, that's so awesome. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Um, It definitely, like, um, like the nonverbal communication and also like knowing what topics, you know, we can talk about, uh, you know, being able to have regular conversations, improv games can help with, uh, you know, like we talked about, like the people are losing their social skills because they're on their phones all the time. So being able to have conversations with our kids um, and vice versa is really important. Um, and one, one, a uh, couple of things that you know we can do at the dinner table is just play, um, like it's called three things, and mm-hmm. you give it, it goes three things, and this is in my second book, three things, three things, three things, three things. Um, and you can also look it up on YouTube. It's called Three Things. And then you give a category. So I would give you a category, and I would say Harry Potter characters. And then you would say three Harry Potter characters. And if you didn't know it, you could make it up and say, you know, Dirty Sock. <laughs> the third Harry Potter character is Dirty Sock. And um, then um, you... And then you accept it, and then they give the category to the next person. And through this, a lot of times we find out people's interests, and we end up talking about them. So it's um, you're categorizing, which we do in conversations, um, adding a details like category. You give a category, you add details of things that you know or things that you're interested in, and it could turn into a conversation. So that's a, a really fun way to connect with our, with our families. And that can be played in the game, in the car too. <laughs> what? <laughs> um, uh, I have another one. I'm getting all the text today, Rich. Um, sorry. And you jump into Rich. but how do we navigate? How do we navigate challenging emotions like anger or sadness? using theater-based approaches, for example, mm-hmm. death of a grandparent. Ooh, that's, yeah. a, that's a really important one. Yeah. Well, I'm actually, I'm um, a drama therapist. I also just became certified, even though I've been using drama therapy for years and didn't know it. Um, <laughs> there's a lot of really good um, drama therapy uh interventions with that like role playing you know um it, it could start out with 
like making um making a letter like what would you say you know writing a letter to what would you say to your grandfather who passed or um what would sadness look like and you could create a sculpture um out of like anything that's in the living room you know um and then you can use those things to um, role play, like with the sculpture, like what, okay, so what would this, um, sadness sculpture say, um, of, of items that you created out of items from your living room? Um, or why don't you act like you're actually reading this to grandpa and I'll be grandpa, like the mom might, or the dad might act out the grandpa's part and, say what grandpa might say in return and then they can um you know end up in a hug or you know however they would want to conclude that amazing i I love that and um i know richardson just got some questions so he could probably jump in but here's here's a question from me and i'd love to talk to you about using drama therapy for digital addiction I really mm-hmm. feel that there's like it would be great just to to figure out how um, we could you could do that with parents and children um, so that we have another resource we can send to you. And, mm-hmm. and one of the things we see is when children spend too much time gaming, and by children I mean anyone under twenty one. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, they uh, they have no resilience because, as you said earlier. They um, they get everything. Like every problem can be solved by Google, by ChatGPT, by any like anything can be solved. But that's not the real world. And so mm-hmm. the question becomes: How can you? What specific strategies using improv or a game, for example, like the three things you just mentioned, or the TV uh, the TV remote game? to build resilience in children and resilience offline, but also resilience online for the negative social media. I mean, all of the Senate hearings, what we're seeing happen in Florida, like a review, children aren't allowed to do this. How do we start building digital resilience and social resilience in our children using improv, theater, drama, therapy, whatever you choose? Well, I'm so glad you asked that because in... In improv theater, like the rules is that there's no mistakes. Mistakes you celebrate. Um, And so you learn, like, even if you say something that you didn't think was quite perfect or that was a little off cusp, the other people have to run with it and you create um, more ideas out of mistakes. And it's like you're you're learning um you, you can you can create innovations out of mistakes like it's it's happened so many times in history right um and it's just part of our scientific method like we we get information and so it didn't you know it wasn't exactly you know perfect but we got information and we build on that so it, it is yeah that's just one of the it's one of the improv roles and it's the great thing about improv 
Yeah, everybody yeah. talks about the brilliance of improv, and I myself got to have improv training, and, and I would recommend it for everyone. In fact, uh, listening to you speak, I feel like I should go back to it. Um, are there improv groups for kids? Can, you know, let's say, let's say you have zero amount of money, but you want your mm-hmm. child to learn improv. What do they do? You know, there's a lot of... Um there's a lot of like YouTube videos that you can look up to do improv with your family. Uh, I, I am a huge advocate for using improv in schools and I, I do have, um, improv games on my website. It's social org, like theater, the T R E it's, um, yeah. T H E A T R E. So social org is, um, my website and there's free improv games on there. Uh, so yeah, you can play it with your families, uh, and you know, you can encourage your school to use it. Um, and there's, you know, like sometimes there's, uh, free events in the community, so they could just watch for that as well. I love, I love that, that so much. Um, yeah, I actually have a, a question oh, for you and, um, and then I have a couple of questions that people have just te- uh, have texted me. Um, so I wanted to ask mine really quickly. So I think about family a lot. And I so let's say a child is um, stressed out and feels isolated. How can parents be able to open up that communication? Because we know that when um, like people when they are usually stressed they would go on their phone nowadays to kind of de-stress or like forget about things but if that situation happens unless on the dinner table how are we able to help with that to open up the communication for that so that they can be able to trust and be able to communicate how they're feeling is there like any um through through what you do is there any way to open that up um well, it you know, like, it depends on the age. Like, teenagers might be more resistant to, like, these kind of yeah. things. And it's really just, like, recognizing, like, what they're feeling and, and saying it, you know, so giving them a feeling. But I know in drama therapy, one of the things that we do is we model our feelings. So um, we could always ask our children if they're up for it or if they're at the age level where they're still okay with it. Um, mm-hmm. And some people are still okay with it when they're older it just depends on the person but if you embody your feeling and and show it so um yeah like why don't you embody your feeling and show me what it looks like and i'll embody my feeling and show you what mine looks like um mm-hmm. so in being able to do that um it could be could be really powerful and then um you can ask you can tell them like, okay, is your feeling saying this or would you like to speak for that feeling or would you like me to give you an idea of what that feeling might be saying? And then you, then the drama therapy part is you, you, the, the child accepts it or they change it. That's fascinating. That's so fascinating. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Um, here's another question. How can we adapt 
theater ex- exercises to suit different age groups or developmental stages. Mm-hmm. I really address this in my first book because I I am very familiar title? with neuro. <laughs> okay, <laughs> it's called teaching social skills through sketch comedy and improv games. Um, and keep going. Yeah, if, <laughs> yeah. If you just Google me, Sean Amador books, they'll they'll definitely come up. Um, so neurodiversity is is really um, it's it's important to pay attention to people's uh, different different um, gifts and talents and their their levels, you know, um, and what they can do. So I I even worked with. Uh, a school of adults with disabilities and like with those who had more challenges, we, we just worked on eye contact and passing a ball and making, you know, like we, and then, um, with, with the next group, we even worked on um, passing the noise, you know? Um, mm-hmm. So there's different, in, in that first book, I have a lot of, I have it broken down into levels. Like people have different cognitive levels and there's different things that they can do. Uh, like pretty much everybody, um, you put on uh, chariots of fire, um, it can throw a snowball. And then you can react, and they just love it. Yep. I love that. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Here's the other question. What role does storytelling play in theater therapy, and how can we use it to connect with our children? Mm, I love that. Yeah. Yes. um, Storytelling um, is is really important. Um, And, you know, like... It, it can be fun to take their, you know, the kid's imagination, have them build a sculpture, and then you can be like, so what would this person say? Or, you know, what would this character say? Um, and what would this character say? And I'm, who, who wants to be this character and who wants to be this character? And then you can, you can role play it. And you can even, what's fun is if you have young children, you probably have like costuming around the house and you can, yeah. Put on costumes. Yes. Um, yeah. I even um, <laughs> in my own family, like we've even put on tutus <laughs> um, and worn headbands, you know, and and acted out, uh, you know, different different social scenarios, and um, just it's it's so much fun to be able to tell a story and problem solve with our kids, come up with an ending, you know, on different scenarios. Oh, I love that. It's it feels like especially with kids, like they their imaginations imaginations are huge, so that could go so many ways and it can keep going and going. I love that. But can mm-hmm. I just hear like mm-hmm. one of the comments or questions I'm always seeing or hearing is that people are saying that children today have low social emotional development and mm-hmm. compared to children pre iPhone, which 2007. Would you agree with that? And if you do, I mean, I haven't seen any data, so I don't know. I just think it's an interesting statement. Someone just texted me and and I have thought about it too, when I'm in the classroom. What, Mm -hmm. what do you, what do you say to that? Like, how can we bring back emotional intelligence? 
Right. I, I do think um, it's a lot of social skills, like like I said before, are lost on our, our kids nowadays. Like being able to engage in conversation because they have the phone there and they'll be right. like, hey, look at this video. Like that's like their conversation instead of being able to like explain the story with um, with kids or clients that I work with. Um, I'll be like, I want you to explain it to me. Like if, if you're telling me, um, if you want to show me this video, I would much rather you explain it to me, you know, because <laughs> they need to be able to have that language, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So I think definitely, definitely getting people to, um, not use their phones to communicate is, is helpful between families. Excuse me. I think so too. Um, you know, Rich- this is so funny. Yeah, this actually leads to um, the other question. Uh, wh- are there any potential pitfalls or things to watch out for when using theater techniques at home? Um, well, I um, we talked about feelings regulation, and if someone mm-hmm. is too escalated, like meaning their feelings are too big, um, mm-hmm. then we need to. Probably, and, and humor shouldn't come in at that point either um, if their feelings are too big. So if they're showing body signs of stress, like, you know, fist clenching or, you know, they're yelling, humor isn't going to help at that point. It's just going to make them feel, like, mocked and made fun of. Um, but humor can be used at um, another point, like, if if somebody just has, big tone and that's it you know um humor could be brought in and used to regulate them and then the the feelings can should also be uh you know like validated and pointed out and said that's okay that we're having that kind of feeling but at all levels feelings should be validated and you know we should tell people like it is okay to feel that way um let's let's work on regulating so that we don't do anything like that we feel bad about. Yeah. (laughs) It's funny you say that because um, Mm -hmm. I heard on, it's still the same show that was talking about um, improv was this comedian was saying, you know, I grew up in the eighties and you know, the seventies, eighties or something he said. And when we were angry, our parents were like, okay, be angry. Like that was it. Mm-hmm. Like just deal with it. And he said, today, it's like, oh, I have to celebrate your anger and I hear you and how are you going to take it out? And like, it was just so funny, but so true. How do yeah. you create a safe and supportive environment for expression, but mm-hmm. regulated expression? Like parents don't have to celebrate when their kids get angry. Parents are allowed to say, yeah, okay, you're angry. I'm busy. That's the way the world works. Carry on, mm-hmm. self-regulate. <laughs> right. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I, I think um, what's important is to know our coping skills. Um, and just everyone copes with things differently. It's like, what is it that, that makes each of us and our families, like, regulate? Like, is it listening to music? Is it telling a joke? Because, you know... For some, you tell them a joke and they're like, fine, you know, um, <laughs> is it is it that they need to go in their room and be by themselves for a while? Do they need like um, 
headphones to like um, you make it quiet? What is it that they personally need? Or are you hungry? <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> this hangry. This whole thing is so true. I used to think it was yeah. just a Snickers ad, but it's true. It's like yes, you are right. Absolutely, Snickers. yeah. That usually I happens to me in the morning. <laughs> Who knew Snickers would change parenting? Um, so now we only have a couple minutes I, left. So I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you one last question. <laughs> However, I'm gonna do the promo for you since you do not want to do the promo, Sean Amador. <laughs> Who can be reached at socialtheater.org, S-O-C-I-A-L-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org, who is also the author of this amazing book, uh, two amazing books. The first one is Teaching Social Skills with Sketch Comedy, an Improv Game. And the second one is, oh my gosh, let me make sure I've got it, Group Activities for Social and Emotional Learning. And you can find both on your website, correct? Yes. Okay, good. Lastly. Yes. Group Activities for Social Emotional Learning using Sketch Comedy and Improv Games. Sketch. I see. I dropped something. I knew it. I knew I'd screwed it up. However, they're both amazing books. It sounds like, and I'm excited to get both and recommend them. Last question before we cut out: What resources do you recommend for people in general and parents in particular for integrating theater therapy into their family life? I um, like again. You can look on a socialtheater.org. We do have um, some games on there. It's just under improv games in the side column, um, and so I think that's important. And just you know, some of the activities that we did today and one-word storytelling is really good. Like you can just look on Google and put family improv games, and there will be a bunch that that pop up. Amazing. Sean, thank you. I've really enjoyed this interview. We hope you come back sometime. Thank you, Sean. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. It was really fun. <laughs> it was. Yeah. Take good care, everybody. Have a wonderful <laughs> week. Be well. Bye-bye. Bye. The preceding program, Chicago's Weekend Wake-Up Call, was sponsored by the Digital Wellness Center and to the extent applicable, their guests. The views and opinions expressed therein do not necessarily reflect those of NewsWeb Radio Company or its management.